0: If you have your Bibles this morning, or if you'd like to follow along either way, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 5. If you would please, John, chapter 5. And I really only have one verse I want to read. We will be reading other verses as the sermon progresses. But today I'd want to just look at verse 40. John, chapter 5, and verse 40. This is the words of our Lord Jesus, and He says... "...and ye will not come to Me that ye might have life." Again, verse 40, "...and ye will not come to Me that ye might have life." Our Lord Jesus here in the context has been speaking or discoursing with the Jews and the Pharisees of His day. And He's been speaking about the testimony that His Father has given to His commission of Him coming into the world, that He was sent into the world to be the Messiah or to be the Christ, that is, the Savior of the world. God is His Father and He is the Son of God. And thus, the Lord Jesus here gave several witnesses to this truth. He gave the witness of his heavenly Father who testified that he truly is the Messiah or the Christ, the Son of God. And he also, as we see there in verse 32, beginning at that point, he also gave the testimony and the witness of John the Baptist. And in the immediate context of what we just read, he in verse 40... He gave the testimony of... Excuse me, verse 39. He gave the testimony of the Scriptures themselves. Notice what He says here. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. And yet, for all of this, for all these three testimonies that were so plainly set forth to these Pharisees, to these Jews of that day... They refused to believe upon Him for eternal life. They rejected who He was. They refused to believe His message. They refused, as we see in verse 40, to come to Him that they might have eternal life. Let me read that again in verse 40. And ye will not come to Me that ye might have life. So the doctrine then that we can draw from this verse is very simple. And I'm going to make, hopefully make it very simple this morning. And it's this, that men will not come to Christ for eternal life. I didn't hardly have to re-write, uh, reword that at all, did it? Made it so easy there. Notice the text. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. So the doctrine then that we can draw from that is men will not come to Christ to have eternal life. And here is the grim and the sad reality that the Bible presents unto all of us. While sinful man needs salvation, he needs forgiveness, he needs a title to eternal life, he needs a righteousness that he has not of his own, he needs heaven, but men will not, left to themselves, they will not, Seek it from the only source that it can be obtained. Many will go on in life thinking all is okay, all is well with their souls, but they will not come to Christ. But eternal life and forgiveness of sins can only be found, though, in coming to Jesus Christ. Notice our text. And you will not come to me that you might have life. In other words, if you come to Me, you will have life. But you will not come to Me that you might have life. Men may be so far deluded that they will, in the face of eternal ruin, forsake the only way that is set forth in Holy Scripture for their salvation. When He says here that they won't come to Him for life, He means here eternal life. And eternal life means the forgiveness and pardon of sins, a righteousness that's imputed, and what we would say, they're saved and they're going to heaven. That's what eternal life means. It means to have Jesus Christ and His righteousness. It means that Christ died for their sins, that He was buried and He rose again the third day for them, and He sits in heaven ready to forgive their sins. In fact, redemption was wrought the very hour that Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sins. These are the great benefits that men possess only when they come to Jesus Christ. Now, coming to Christ is something then we probably ought to explain. He says here, and ye will not come to me. Now, by this, he doesn't mean a literal or a bodily coming to the person of Christ, because that's what the Pharisees and the Jews actually had done. They had came up physically and were standing right before Jesus Christ. So coming to Christ here doesn't mean that kind of activity. But it is, what is meant by this is, is faith. Coming to Christ means to believe upon Jesus Christ. In the next chapter, beginning in verse 35, for instance, he says... And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. And he that believeth on me shall never thirst. So in that same verse, he interchanges the word coming and believing. So coming to Christ and believing on Christ are the very same thing. Verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me or believe on me, and him that cometh, or believeth on me, I will in no wise cast out. Verse 44, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. He says back up in verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So the idea of coming to Christ is the same thing as seeing Christ. It is the same spiritually seeing Christ. And it is the same thing as to believe on Christ. And those who do come to Christ, that is those who believe upon Him in the proper way, that is by no works or any goodness of their own, who believe upon Christ alone as this all-sufficient Savior, who is set forth in the Scripture... As he is set forth in the gospel, it means to come to him and believe upon him, leaving all behind and trusting only in Christ, forsaking all to help, and only casting ourselves, as it were, unto Christ to save us. Because he is the only one who can. He is the only way to the Father. I am the life, the truth, the life. No man can come to me except my Father. Excuse me, I messed that whole thing up. John 14 and verse 6 says, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Peter preaching in Acts 4 says, There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby they must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. And yet again, yet for all of this, our text says, though, excuse me, and teaches that men will not come to Christ. What a sad predicament to find themselves in. Knowing that salvation is full, it is free, and it is sufficient, and Jesus will pardon sinners, and yet they will not come to Christ that they might have life. Remember the doctrine or the teaching that is set forth here from our text is that men will not believe upon Christ for eternal life. How sad. For such a Savior that is in heaven who has done the wonderful works that He has done to redeem man. And yet our text says, and you will not come to me that you might have life. Now, to help us to see this, I hope a little more plainly, let me open up the doctrine with this application, and it's this. The reasons as to why men will not come or believe upon Christ for pardon and eternal life. I want to set forth then some of the reasons, not all of them, but some of the reasons as to why men will not believe or come to Christ for pardon and eternal life. And here again, with, the, with this in our faces, as it were, with salvation so plainly set forth, by faith alone in Christ alone, which secures our salvation for helpless sinners, yet men will refuse to receive it and to come to Christ. Now, the answer the question is, is why? Why won't men come to Christ? Why does Jesus tell these self-righteous Pharisees, that they will not come to him, that they might have life. Well, I'm going to give you several reasons this morning. These are not complete and full. I'm only going to be able to do a survey of them, and this is not even all of them. I'm going to give you about nine. But let me look at several reasons as to why men will not come to Christ. Now, of course, the greatest reason is sin. That's all there is. That's not even one of my points. But that's, if you want to get behind it all, the reason why men will not come to Christ is because they love their sins. They are in sin. They are blind. The Bible says, no man can come to me except my Father which has sent me draw them. So men in themselves will not and they cannot. But behind all that then are the excuses or the reasons as to why they won't. And so we want to look for that. First one is this. The reason why men will not come to Christ, and by that men I meant generically, that means men, women, boys and girls. Men do not see themselves as great sinners before God. That's why they don't come. Men do not come to Christ because they don't feel that they need such a Savior as Jesus Christ. Now, generally, by nature, all men recognize and do see themselves as sinners. No doubt about that. The Bible teaches that very plainly. They themselves will note that their lives do not measure up to what they ought to be doing. Men by nature and through nature see themselves sinful they know that they've sinned in some form and in some measure in this or that particular duty. Their own conscience, as we read in Romans 2, bears witness to this very fact. That's why there's all kinds of religion. Because religion for them is some way that they can appease their conscience, that moral governor that that lives within them, that they have fallen short and they're going to have to someday stand before God and give an account. And so they have a religion that they hope will appease that God. Romans 2, as we said, reveals that. Nature reveals that. But nature will not save a man. Nature saves no one. Yes, it can reveal that he's a sinner. But it cannot reveal the way to relieve themselves of the sin burden that is upon them. And men will not come to Christ because they think of themselves that they're not really that bad. They think that they're, well, at least not as bad as the other fellow. I mean, you can look at my neighbor across the street and I know that they're worse than I am. Or you can know, you think read things in paper and say, my, how terrible these things that someone has done to... At least I don't do those things. That's how we comfort ourselves. You see, we don't think we're very bad sinners. I've done some things that just aren't good, but really, when it comes down to it, I'm really not that bad. There's some good in me. It just needs to be stirred up some. That's what we think. That's what men think who refuse to come to Christ. They think all is well. And since they don't think they're great sinners... Well, they don't need a great Savior like Jesus Christ to deliver them. So that's one of their problems. They just don't think they're very bad. That's true, they got some flaws in their character, and they have tensions of conscience occasionally, but not enough to drive them to Christ. Another reason why they will not come to Christ is that they think eternal life, that is the forgiveness and pardon of sin a righteousness that they need, they think that it lies within something that they can do. Or at least they can help to do. You know, there's the idea. Well, I, there's Christ, yes. I have to believe upon Him and I should believe upon Him. But, you know, I have to do my part as well. And so there is scores and scores of individuals who think that eternal life can be had by something that they can do. They have, they sadly think, a righteousness that's their own. Oh, to be sure, they feel themselves very holy people. I mean, they go about doing some good. They'll give. They'll take care of their neighbors occasionally. They may help an old lady across the street. They may attend a place of worship. They may even do that fairly regularly, or at least while it doesn't bother something else they need to go be doing on the Lord's Day other than that. You know, if it's not something too important, they'll be in church. They give or they tithe. They read their Bibles occasionally. They boast about their good deeds. They, to them, they're just as good as everybody else and they're okay. And really, they don't need a Savior from sin because, quite honestly, they're doing quite well themselves and don't need the help. You'll note in our context, though, that's the kind of people that Jesus was speaking to. He was speaking to self-righteous Pharisees. He was speaking just to such a crowd. He was speaking to a crowd who were very, very religious. In fact, you study the context in particular, they were the religious leaders that our Lord Jesus was speaking to. Here were a folk who knew their Bibles. They knew the writings of the law and the prophets. They could quote them. They could, quote, expound them. But yet, our Lord tells them, even in verses 46 and 47, notice, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you believe not his writings, how should you believe my words? Isn't that something? Here was a crowd who owned Bibles, as we would say. Here was a crowd who read them, who even professed to believe the Old Testament. But he says, now, if you really did, you would believe me because Moses wrote of me. So these are religious folks he's talking about. These are people who went to synagogue every Sunday or every Sabbath. These were people who supposedly did good works and outwardly they look great. Do you remember what our Lord Jesus told His disciples? Except your righteousness exceed the righteousnesses of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. What strong words! They were to look at the Pharisees, and they would see outwardly they were moral, upright people. But Jesus said, "Except your righteousness exceeds theirs, you won't go to heaven." And Jesus tells this same crowd here whom He had talked about in that point about their righteousness that they will not come to Christ that they might have eternal life. You see, there is a righteousness that we think we have that makes God attainable. How fooled are we? You see, we won't come to Christ if we think Our righteousness is sufficient. If we think our Bible knowledge will get us there. Remember what he says in verse 39 Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. That is, because they knew the scriptures and had them. We're a blessed nation in one sense, accursed in others. But we're a blessed nation in the sense that we have Bibles everywhere. You can go to Kmart and Walmart. You can go to the dollar store and buy Bibles. They're everywhere. That's how easily attainable they are. You can get one off the back of our table free if you want one. They're everywhere. And for some reason, because people think they have a Bible, that's made them a Christian. They think all is well. Jesus said to those same kind of folks, again, verse 39, Search the Scripture for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. And then notice the next verse, And ye will not come to me that you might have life. Think of that. Moral, upright people who didn't do their neighbor any harm, at least in their own eyes. And yet they will not come to Christ. Then thirdly men will not come to Christ because they desire not to be grouped with the people who are the poor and the humble of this life. And when I say poor and humble I don't mean speaking of means or the standard of living but I mean a particular walk in life. People who have come to Christ or a people and be it few by the way it is a people and it is a way that is narrow. Yet men will refuse to come to Christ because they're proud and they love the honor of men. They love to have the pats on the back. And you see and you hear of that kind of thing a lot, don't you? They don't care for humility. They don't care for self-denial. They don't care about serving others. They care and they serve themselves. They love themselves. They love the praise and they love the honor that others may give them and for them to cast, as it were, their lot with these despised, true Christians of this world, those precise people who are careful about their walk, who do not offend, want to offend their Lord in anything, who try to keep the commandments of God, who do deny self, who love and they serve one another, yet still sin dwelling in them, they won't know part of that. They will not come to Christ. And here again, that was the kind of people that Jesus was talking to here this day. Look in verse 44. How can you believe which receive honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? Notice what they were doing. They were so busy wanting the pats on the back. They wanted to be seen in the marketplace praying and wearing the clothes of of what it meant to be holy. But they didn't want to be humble. They wanted to be honored of men. How many in our day and time strive for this? Rather than have the honor of God upon them, they want the honor of man. You know, we were talking about this after church, I think, last week, one of the brethren. You know, if you wanted to be proud in a, in a, in a right, in the sense that you think these Pharisees would have been, it wouldn't be seeking lowly men to praise me. It would be speaking of wanting God to honor me. To me, that would be the height of it. And he says here, of this very thing, How can ye believe which receive one honor one of another and seek not the honor that cometh from God only? You would think sinners would be proud to be honored of God. But no, sin is so diluted their little noodles that all they want is the honor of man. That's how we are by nature. And what does he say here? How can you believe which receive honor one of another? You can't. Believing is coming, you remember. You will not come to me that you may have eternal life, he says, because you want the honor of men. How terrible. How sad. And then fourthly, they think erroneously. That means wrongly, children. Children that they can honor God in their own way apart from Christ. You've heard the saying, just any old way to heaven. You know, as long as they're sincere in what they believe, it's okay. I mean, a Buddhist can go to heaven thinking well of his Buddha. A a papist can go to heaven thinking well of his Pope or his his priest. All that will work long as they are sincere. But what saith Scripture? I don't, I'm not interested in what saith man, what saith Scripture. Jesus said, No man cometh to me except my Father which sent me. Draw him. John 5, verse 23. Here, listen to this very carefully. He says, That all men should honor the Father, or excuse me, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. You tell me, if you honor Buddha and not, or Buddhist and not Christ, do you honor God in reality? This text says you do not. Who am I to believe? You are God. Am I to believe this Bible that's been around a lot longer than you have? Or am I to believe you? Who says, oh, you can believe in Buddhist and you can bypass Christ and you can still get to God? Jesus says this is impossible. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father. So it's either Christ or it's nothing at all. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh, he says, to the Father but by me. I realize men think otherwise, but those men will be in hell. They will not seek Christ. They will not come to Him that they might have life. And this, fifthly, we mentioned a little bit this earlier, but I'm bringing out in this light, the love for sin. The love for sin. Men will not forsake their sin and come to Christ. It doesn't matter what sin it is in particular. They may have one that may be considered very vile and gross, you know, like fornication, drunkenness, witchcraft, such as that. They don't want to leave it. Or it may be those more refined folks who have lesser sins like little white lies. But whatever it may be, either way, sin is their love. Sin is what they trade in. Sin is what they live in. They are what Jesus says to a multitude at the last day. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. Workers of iniquity. And so they will not come to Christ. And then sixthly, the gospel itself is a stumbling block or it's foolishness. They say, well, what? Be saved by believing the gospel? Having eternal life through Christ alone as He set forth in the gospel? Surely, there's other ways. Surely, that's not the way. I've got my good works. I've got somewhat to offer in this issue of salvation. I can do this, or I can do that, or I can stop doing this and stop doing that. Here again, this is what the Jews of our Lord's day thought. It was a stumbling block. When Christ came preaching that I must be crucified, that I must be buried, and I must rise again the third day, and that the righteousness is in that, He said, they said, no, we won't have anything to do with that. Look in Romans ten. Look in verse thirty, or actually chapter nine, verse thirty, and we'll get into verse ten, chapter ten. But he says in verse thirty, this is kind of where it picks up of chapter nine. What shall we say then, that the Gentiles, that's us, which follow not after righteousness, have obtained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, but Israel that would be the Jews, literal Jews, which followed after the law, that is, they were trying to obey the law to, to be saved. They followed after the law of righteousness. Hath not obtained the law of righteousness. That is, they weren't saved. Why? Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for God for Israel is that they might be saved. But I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. To everyone that comes to Christ. You see, though, it was a stumbling block. To preach Christ crucified and in that is an imputed righteousness to to those who believe. Men and women, boys and girls don't want that. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. To the Gentile, he says, it's foolishness. What? Be saved in that method? How silly. I'm beyond that. Give me something a little more philosophical. Give me something a little more deeper. And Paul says, yeah, I know, that's exactly what you want, but I'm going to give you Christ crucified. To the Jew, stumbling block. To the Gentile, foolishness. He already knew their answer. He already knew their response, as it were. And they would not come to Christ. Seventhly, because they feel or they think in themselves that all is well. I have spoken to many folks who live a godless, carnal life. No care for the Sabbath. No care to honor God. No place in His house. No desire to obey the commandments as they're revealed in Scripture. These folks are self-satisfied and they are self-deluded in their possession and profession of some kind of a religion. It's not that they've taken their faith and they said, "Okay, do I have saving faith? Let me check by the Bible and let me see. They've never really examined their lives by the word of God. They just feel that everything is okay. And you say, well, how do you know? You say, well, I just know it. Well, how do you know? I just feel it in my heart. Well, go to the word of God and you show me that feeling. That kind of language is nowhere to be found in Scripture. A person knows that they have eternal life by certain characteristics in their lives. That they love the brethren. They keep the commandments. They think highly of Christ and think lowly of themselves. They love the way of righteousness, which is by imputation. But these folks have an assurance, not based upon the infallible Word of God, but of their own, and I'm not trying to be funny here, but by their own notions and their own emotions. That's how they think they're saved. And that's why they think they're saved. They just feel like it. When feeling has absolutely nothing to do with it. We're not saved by feelings. We're saved by faith in Christ Jesus. And so there are those kind of folks who think all is well, And unfortunately, they're going to wake up someday in hell. How sad. Because they would refuse to take heed to come to Christ. Then actually, they think that they have the power to repent and believe at will. In other words, well, you know, I think what you're saying is true. But you know what? I can make this, quote, decision anytime that I want to. Right now is too soon, and I may do this later. You know, I've got a family. I've got a job. I'm working. I'm trying to secure my future. I've got my retirement to think about. I don't have any time for this now. I'll wait for a more convenient season, a more convenient time. Or some young person may think, here, well, I've got plenty of time. I want to sow some wild oats right now. I'll take care of all of that later. Well, in the first place, there may never be a later for you. Life is but a vapor, the Scripture says. You could drop dead before this sermon is over. But more than that, to the point I was making, the power to repent and to believe, that is to come to Christ, is not in you in the first place. It's in God. God grants these things when it pleases Him, not when it pleases you. You won't come, He says, that you might have life. And then in the next chapter, chapter 6, he, remember now, in chapter 5, He says you won't do it. That is, you don't have the will to do it. In chapter 6, He's telling us you don't have the ability to do it. Notice chapter 6, verse 44. No man can come to Me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I'll raise him up at the last day. John 5 says you won't come. John 6 says you can't come. There's your problem. You won't and you can't. You can't and you won't. And just in case you missed it, he tells you again in verse 65, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me, except it were given unto him of my Father. So the foolishness then to think that I will wait for another day or I will believe on Him when I am good and ready. My friend, what a mistake to make. You will not come to Him that you might have life. And then ninthly, and this is the one that ought to scare literally your pants off of you if you could use that phrase. And, and I'm not making this up. I'm going to show you in the Bible. This is exactly what it says. Men will not come to Christ because God has blinded their minds to it. Now, let me repeat that because I know this sounds so strange. Men will not come to Christ because God has blinded their minds so that they will not and cannot come Christ. You say, what? The God of the Bible, the God of heaven would do such a thing as this? And the answer is plainly yes. Let me show you in John. We read this last Lord's Day, didn't we? Or Wednesday night. Last Wednesday night. John 12. And verse beginning in verse 37. Now, again, this is the same kind of people he's talking about. The same ones that he says that you won't you won't come and you can't come. And then he says this in John 12, verse 37. And some of them said, Could not this man which opened the eyes of the blind have caused that even this man should not have died? And the answer, of course, is yes, that's true, he could have. Jesus, I'm in the wrong chapter. That's why that looks so funny. And it was a good chapter, but it's just not the right one. Chapter 12, I should have went to. I was in 11. And verse 37. But though He had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on Him. Okay, we see now they don't believe on Him. And then in verse 30, He says, that the saying of Isaiah, that's Isaiah the prophet, might be fulfilled, which He spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? That's uh, Isaiah 53, verse 1. And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because that Isaiah said again, He, that is God, hath blinded their eyes and hardened their heart that they should not see with their eyes nor understand with their heart and be converted and I should heal them. Get anything outside of that verse if you would like, but that's exactly what it says. He blinded their eyes and He hardened their heart that they should not see and understand and be converted. So here is another reason why men will not come to Christ. It's because God has blinded their eyes so they cannot come. Now, men may feel that God is somehow unfair in this. Men may feel that God somehow owes them a salvation. But again, the Scripture paints a very different picture than this, doesn't it? But my whole thing point here to oh, to be in such a condition is this, my friend. That God, in His judgment towards you, has left you in your sins to perish forever. Terrible, terrible. News, isn't it? But it's a reality. Listen to me this morning. You young people, don't provoke God to wrath. Don't tempt Him. Don't go on in your sin because He could blind you and you'll never come to Christ. What a fool that would play with God like that. But you may object. Why would he, why would this be good news? Why should you tell us this? And here you are preaching somewhat of a gospel message, and then you tell me that. Well, first of all, I tell you this because it's the truth. Men don't come to Christ at times because God has blinded them. And secondly, if this is a true doctrine, and it is, how then at this moment you ought to be crying out for mercy that it does not happen to you? And if you're one crying and meaning it sincerely, He's not blinding you. If anything, He's drawing you. So seek mercy, my friend, that He will not blind you. What can we say to such things? Well, some may object. Well, you know, this is too plain. There's not a whole lot of comfort in all of this. And in fact, I'm just not so sure of myself at this moment. And I definitely don't like this. That's an objection to preaching like this. Well, first of all, my answer to that is, men by nature don't want plain preaching anyway about their sins and about their state of their souls. This is why sinners resort to false preachers. They want preachers and teachers that will soothe them, that will comfort them, that will speak words of peace when in reality there is no peace. And as Isaiah says, they will want those people who will speak to us, he says, as Smooth things. Don't give us this rough stuff. Give us smooth things. So I'm not surprised that people wouldn't like this. Secondly, they say, well, this makes me very uncomfortable. And my answer back, not trying to be a smart aleck, but my answer is, better a little discomfort now than the torments of hell forever. Better make this sure now about your election and salvation and calling rather than spend all eternity in the torments of hell forever and ever and ever. Well, let me close with some quick applications. Well, if we see why they don't come, let me give you some reasons why you ought to come. Well, first of all, because there is forgiveness only in Jesus Christ. Again, notice our text. He says... And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. That does imply that there is life in Christ. And not just that passage, but all Scripture certainly teaches that. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, Paul told Timothy. And that from a child has known the Holy Scriptures. That, uh, messed it up. And that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. No man is justified, no man is saved by their works, by their righteousness, but it is all in Christ Jesus and received by faith alone. Secondly, there's no hope in yourselves. Quit looking to yourself. God will never save you based on your merits. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saves us. And there is no hope in ourselves. The Gentiles were without God and were without hope, he says. Secondly, or thirdly, He will receive us if we come to Him. Notice again in verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. You say, well, I've listened to this sermon today and I'm fearful. I'm one of those. He's blinded. I'm telling you here now, if you come to Him, He will gladly receive you. This is not a contradiction of Scripture. If you but come to Christ, He will not cast you out. He is a Savior who is true to His promises. All that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. Another reason why men ought to come is because God is very gracious and merciful and long-suffering. When Moses asked to see something of the face of God, he says, you can't but I will reveal something to you. And He reveals unto him His name. That is, Jehovah reveals His name unto Moses. And part of that name, it's true that He's a God who will not pardon any, pardon sin, but He also says that He is very merciful and gracious and long-suffering. Why should you come to Christ? Because He's that kind of a God. Because He is merciful and He is gracious and He will pardon and forgive. Another reason is because it's just flat true. This is true stuff here. Jesus will save sinners. Oh, the truth of this. And by, Paul says it's worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then, sixthly, there is forgiveness. The Bible says in Psalm 130, that, uh, Psalm, he says that there is forgiveness with God That thou mayest be feared. There is forgiveness. Another reason is because hell and its torments are forever. There's no second chances. It isn't, ah, I could have had a V8, ah, I could have had Christ, and then you make it better. It's not going to work. Now is the accepted time, the Bible says. Today is the day of salvation. Where the tree falls, there it lays. There'll be no turning. Hell is forever. And it is real. You can deny it all you want. There's not one person in hell today though who will deny it. They know the reality of hell. They know the reality of pain and torment. Gnawing of their tongue. Gnashing of the teeth. The wrath of God poured out on them unto the uttermost. They will not deny it while you foolishly do here today. He will not. They will not. And then eighthly, heaven and all of its blessedness is true and it's forever as well. Just as there's a hell, you know what? There's a heaven. There is a heaven where all pain will be gone. Every tear will be wiped away and there will be blessed communion and holiness in heaven for all eternity. Never again will we have those croaking toads of indwelling sin, Christian. Never again will I have sin present with me. Never again will I have to take a sin to Christ and beg for forgiveness. It'll be gone. Forever. Isn't that a blessing place? And then ninthly and lastly, you should come because even the most wicked can come or will come, do come. Put it that way. And Roman, I don't know how to say it actually, but the most wicked will come. Notice in Acts chapter 2. Uh, you know, the folks that crucified Christ, that's pretty low, don't you think? That's pretty sinful. That's a sin. You think, wow, that's terrible. They crucified the Son of God. And Peter says that's exactly what you did. You did that very thing. You crucified the Lord of glory. And it says there in verse 37 of chapter 2, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And then Peter tells them. And then that same day, God saves 3,000 sinners who had, some had a very hand in the death of Christ itself. So, yes. Even the most wicked may come to Christ. Even you.